analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning and welcome. Uh, we're doing kind of a hybrid show this morning. Uh, front half, the Woodford show, and then the back half because of uh, uh, the Easter long weekend. There's no inside politics on NL tomorrow, so we're going to have uh, Vaughn Palmer and Keith Baldy join us at the bottom of the hour uh, to sort of have an abbreviated inside politics heading into the long weekend. Uh, on the front half, we've got a pretty full show. We're going to talk about Sun Peaks, uh, the winter season that was. Uh, as well as whatever's coming up and uh, and get a sense of what the ski season was like up there. Uh, but first off, uh, we have uh, former B.C. Liberal MLA and Cabinet Minister, currently Councillor in Dawson Creek. Uh, he's got a new job, as announced this week, as the Premier's Special Liaison on Caribou Consultations. Uh, pleasure to welcome Blair Lexstrom to the program. Hey, Blair, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing, Shane? Yeah, I'm well. Hey, thanks for taking a few minutes. Really appreciate it. Okay, man, uh, you're on the hot seat here. The Premier admitted uh, this week uh, that they messed up. Uh, you're very aware of the concerns and, and the uh, the uproar across BC's north and your community and elsewhere around uh, the, these consultations about endangered caribou. The core problem, as you know, Blair, is people in, the, in your community across the north felt like the fix was in. Decisions were being made without them. They were being consulted after the fact. This was allowed to fester for months. Yes, we've had some changes on this thing, including bringing you on board. So I guess the key question to you is how do you address that core concern and how do you bring people on side these consultations to convince them that they are truly in fact meaningful? Well uh, I would agree. I don't think this file has been handled very well from the beginning. Um, I imagine from the perspective of the provincial and federal governments as well as the uh, First Nations they thought they were uh, doing the right thing for 18 months as I understand it but to have those discussions without input from the local communities that are directly impacted by this was a mistake. And, you know, I give credit where it's due, and the Premier uh, recognized that. So do I have some optimism that we're going to make some progress? Yes, I do, or I wouldn't have taken this on. But it is going to take a willingness by all of the parties uh, to maybe even, uh, we're going to see where we're at at the end of this time frame. Uh, where we're able to get to, but holding public meetings uh, as they did and calling it consultation is just not the way to do it. I mean, uh, as I said, I think they've recognized that. They are now going to engage uh, with our regional district elected officials, our First Nations in the region. Uh, their elected officials are going to come together to talk about this. Uh, so, I mean, we're headed in the right direction. It's unfortunate it took... Uh, us to get to this point to begin going down the right road but uh, like I say I think we hopefully will be able to get there and at the end of this I'll put something together that reflects what this region uh, you know wants to do and yeah we're in this together Shane and that's the one thing I keep reiterating the caribou issue is not a First Nations issue or non-first it's our issue together you know not just as the Northeast either but as you know our British Columbians as Canadians so Let's do this together. There's no one group that has more authority than the other. How do you do that, Blair? Because one of the part of the problem is First Nations were, in fact, consulted, and communities like yours and others uh, felt left out. Meetings were canceled at the last minute. Outrage grew. Uh, I note, uh, as you just said, uh, you had a quote earlier this week. We talk about us and them. It's not us and them. It's all of us together. So how do you bridge, uh, first off, uh, people in the various communities and First Nations groups? Well, I think by trying to bring them together and get an understanding, um, you know, there's always concern. I've lived here all my life, 
you know, we grew up together. Whether you're First Nations or non-First Nations, you play ball, you play hockey, you, I mean, we're friends. This has set the relationship back, in my mind, 20 to 40 years. There's things being said now that, you know, you wouldn't have never expected to hear. But when people are concerned about their livelihood, their well-being, the possibility, and we don't know that, the possibility that they could lose their job over something like this and have never been consulted, a lot of things happen in their mind. And uh, that's, it's unfortunate we've got to that. But again, you know, the Premier has asked me to put together a, you know, a direct report, report to him about what we can do to turn this thing around and make sure it works for everybody. Don't have a great deal of time, Shane, to do it, um, but I'll do my best to reflect what I've heard, what the region is saying, and uh, put something together. Another aspect of the problem, Blair, is the as I as Mike uh, Bernier described it to me, the panel itself was made up of what he called junior bureaucrats. Uh, he said at times they were argumentative. I've also heard from sort of monitoring uh, media in the area as they've gone through and held these consultations uh, that they were unable to answer some pretty key and core questions from the crowd. Uh, and the changes that could be made, do we need an upgrade on the panel to better actually hold consultations or no? You know, I don't think with the time frame I've been given uh, that we'll be out hosting a bunch of public meetings. I think that it is so short that I've got to take the information I've gathered from the meetings that have taken place. I will be meeting, as I said, with uh, the locally elected officials in the region. I will pull together the First Nations, being West Mobile and Soto, uh, for meetings with them as well. I'll meet with industry uh, on the allowable cut impacts. Uh, talk to, we have the Concerned Citizens for Caribou Recovery. I know they want to engage with me. So I'll go through all of that. And like I say, I I think we can accomplish the issue of caribou recovery while not devastating our region or communities or access to the backcountry. So. Uh, the Premier, as part of the changes, brought you on board, obviously. That's why we're having this conversation. But he also extended those consultations by another month. But I was thinking this week, what's the rush? I mean, it, it, six months from now, is there going to be um, a, a fatal adjustment in the caribou herds uh, eight months from now? I mean, do we have more time, Blair, than we're being sold, especially considering the uproar, uh, perhaps to tackle this problem and do it right, and at the end of the day, table a plan that works for everybody? I think as we go through this process, Shane, and that's a great question, uh, if we're making progress and it says, you know, we look at it and say, man, we need some more time, the issue is going to be the federal government. This is under a Section 11, the species at risk, where they de- determined uh, these species are threatened. They have a time frame they have to operate under. If we're making progress and this region is working collaboratively, Uh, to try and find a solution with our First Nations, with the provincial government and the region and industry all together, then far be it from the federal government to stick their nose in here and try and shut us down. That's where the issue is going to come. You know, we live here, and I'll tell you, if we're making some progress and moving in the right direction and they try to impose something, I think it would be at their peril. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that, especially with the federal election looming, at least this year. Um, 
sort of running concurrently to this, but sort of meshing with it a bit. Uh, the last week, the Premier announced a, a renewal process for forestry. Uh, it's going to be determined at each local level, uh, avoiding what he called a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, yet forestry, as I understand it, is the single biggest industrial threat to these caribou herds, hence the threatened sawmill closures and, and potential of hundreds of jobs out the door. Uh, so um, question to you. I mean, I, at the end of this, can you save the caribou and forestry jobs at all together? And how does all of that mesh with this forestry renewal, you think? Well, I think we have to separate the two issues. I think we have to deal with the impact of the partnership agreement and the Section 11 agreement. That's what I've been tasked with. Uh, the broader issue is the annual allowable cut. I don't believe the forestry alone is the enemy here of the caribou. Do I think it's had an impact? Certainly. I think every one of us has an impact on this planet every day that we walk on it. So, but. You know, the wolves are a major issue here. Um, you know, there's many people down south don't like the thought of, boy, those those pretty wolves are a problem, but they are. Uh, not just for the caribou, but for other wildlife, for our cattle industry. Um, together, I think, is the maternal penning program that the First Nations are working on, are contributing to the redevelopment and, I guess, the betterment of the caribou. They're right now growing. We see a growth in the caribou in our region as a result of a number of things, including the maternal penning program that the First Nations are working on. That's a positive. They've done some good work on this. So what we've got to engage in is a discussion of saying, look, if we're, the herds are starting to recover, what do we do to ensure that trend continues? Can we enhance what you're doing with your maternal? There's just so many things we can talk about and see if we can't find a solution um, I'm not sure if you've seen the release put out by Wes Moverly and Soto, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, but, you know, I thought it was a good press release. They talk about that there's going to be no backcountry closures, that, you know, hunting and fishing and uh, is going to be not be restricted. If there's going to be restrictions on snowmobiling in critical caribou habitat, then there's going to be new, new snowmobile areas opened up. Those are some pretty key comments. Um, hmm. Like I say... I think there's human nature is when people aren't informed or engaged in discussion at the front end, they will jump to the negative. And, you know, that's, that's natural. But the concern I have is the issue for us to get through this plan, find out what's acceptable, how we can improve it, and make it work for everybody. Uh, we're almost out of time, but a couple quick questions to throw at you here. Uh, something I don't hear addressed a lot, or, or maybe it's being addressed locally and it's just not sifting down to me here, but uh, I believe one of the issues is the WAC Bennett Dam and, and the uh, Williston Reservoir, which sort of trapped some of these herds on the south side of the Peace River. Uh, they weren't then allowed to sort of migrate north as they have in the past. Uh, should that be addressed? Should we talk about perhaps moving the caribou north of the Peace or creating some kind of corridor over the river to, to restore that pattern? Does that play a factor in this at all or no? Not in the discussions I'm on. The Site C discussion and uh, the First Nations discussions with regard to the reservoir and the impact is a separate one. Uh, the TLE issue, Treaty Land Entitlement, is a separate issue. I've got to clearly focus on these two agreements and... Uh, like I said, I'm, the, I'm an optimist. I think we can get there, but it's going to take everybody. It's going to take a little give and take uh, from all of us to get to where we need to be. Uh, I think people up here, our backcountry users, our guide outfitters, our trappers, our snowmobiles, everybody respects the land on which we live. And, you know, the people I know that are out there snowmobiling, if they come across caribou, aren't 
going crazy. They're shutting their machines off. They're making sure that they don't have an impact on these. So maybe there's ways we can improve on that. I know they're interested in making sure that they're part of this as well. Um, and we can get there. There's just no way. You know, there's another comment uh, from Chief Cameron, which is very welcome, that says, there is no evidence that the agreements will cost jobs or close mills. We've got to get to the bottom of that. Um, but helpful comments, and we're going to make sure that uh, we get there, do this together, and don't cost our families and our friends and the region jobs. I mean, it, what's interesting, I mean, we have West Moberly members and SOTO members that, that work with industry as well. So they want to make sure that their jobs and livelihoods are looked after. I think everybody's got that mindset. But when one key part of the uh, region is left out of 18 months of talks, it has created a significant problem. Yeah, amen to that. Blair, a uh, pleasure. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you in the future uh, weeks here. All right, Shane. You have a great day. You as well. That's Blair Lextrom, former uh, BC Liberal Cabinet Minister, currently a councillor in Dawson Creek, and he's wearing a new hat as the Premier's special liaison uh, on the Caribou consultation issue. Quick break on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we'll touch base with Sun Peaks in the winter that was. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Woodford program. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to join uh, join the program. Marketing Manager up at Sun Peaks, Aiden Kelly. Good morning, Aiden. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? I am well. Uh, so uh, good, but not great. You guys had a couple of back-to-back record-breaking ski seasons. Uh, couldn't quite get it done this year, just under 400,000 skier visits. Uh, there's some things, as you know, Aiden, that are out of your control. Mother Nature is going to do what Mother Nature does. But I'm curious, uh, as you looked at the ski season uh, that's now concluded, is there are there anything in your control or adjustments you can make to kind of address the situation outside of uh, what Mother Nature throws at you or no? Not really. I mean, generally, we, we had a really good season overall. We're super happy with uh, with the results, the visitation, our, our guest feedback scores, all of that stuff has been really positive this year. So, um, you know, as you noted, we just need a little bit more cooperation from uh, from Mother Nature uh, moving forward. But we're not going to complain too much because we've had a couple of really, really good years before this weather-wise with steady snowfall, good temperatures, all those sort of things. So we're, uh, you know, these things are anomalies. They happen once in a while. The weather wasn't, it's not that the weather was terrible or bad. It was just a bit of a roller coaster. It was just really up and down right from the beginning of the season right through till uh, till the very end. And a lot of kind of anomalies and things that we wouldn't normally um, see. So some different different shifts, and that, that required us to adjust operations a little bit, and it affected some visitation numbers, uh, mostly from the local markets, our definitely nation visitors from overseas and international markets were uh, were very very good this year what about some of the uh, the basics Aiden I mean uh, could you use for example more hotel space uh, more parking space or maybe even uh, get around the parking space by establishing some kind of you know ski bus link uh, between the airport or, or downtown Kamloops up to the mountain just to get more bodies there for sure yeah you nailed it like we we have the 
the resort infrastructure from from a ski perspective um, and an on mountain product is 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 world class, and we've got tons of room for growth and opportunity there for sure. Our main our main barriers are uh, our infrastructure from like a bed based standpoint. We during our busy periods we're we're full up at Sun Peaks. You know, there's no more people that can come and stay, and also during those busy periods, there's not really any more people that can fly to Sun Peaks because we have limited air access um, into the Kamloops Gateway. So we're starting to see some more people looking at using the um, the Kelowna Gateway, and then we even have some people that are flying into Vancouver and then either renting vehicles or just arranging shuttle transportation um, all the way to Sun Peaks from Vancouver Airport. So the so the access is definitely one that we're working on, and uh, the construction of new beds. You know, the more that we can build up there, there's a there's a really good strong master plan that's in place for the resort, and as long as we can uh, continue fulfilling that plan and, and moving forward and, and building more accommodation infrastructure, then I think some piece is going to continue to, to grow and develop because, uh, as I noted, the, the mountain product is about as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, with the ski season over, there's not much time uh, for you guys to put your feet up and take a breath. Uh, you're immediately turning to the summer ahead and building for the next ski season. Uh, so in the next few weeks here, uh, what's next with the next steps? Oh wow! What isn't next? This is in my in my world. This is actually the busiest uh, the busiest time of year. So uh, we have all of our international sales and bookings for next winter are currently taking place right now because there's a there's a big lead time on that. Um, we're also preparing kind of our seasons pass campaign for for next winter. We're looking at you know all of our capital improvement plans for what needs to be kind of fixed up and 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 put in tip top shape this summer, um, and then also you know, all of our summer products, right? You know, within a, within a month or so, we'll be opening up a golf course and then we've got the bike park and all of our hiking product and our summer concerts and events and everything that goes on there. So this time of year is pretty hectic because we're trying to do all of our winter work and all of our summer work at the exact same time. So uh, it makes things uh, a little hectic in my world, we'll say. Now, uh, we've already talked about this. You guys are rolling out some pretty major upgrades in the mountain biking front as you build uh, your summer programs up there. Uh, and uh, people might be surprised. I've talked about this before, but you see more visits in the summer months than you do in the winter months. Um, besides mountain biking uh, or even on mountain biking side, uh, what other sort of surprises or changes you guys got cooking up for the summer months? Well, we're, we're really focusing on uh, we're really focusing on the on the biking this year. That's taking a lot of our effort and a lot of our focus. Um, we have seen like really really good increases in people that are coming up for hiking and sightseeing. So I think we're taking a look at a few little uh, upgrades and tweaks to the product there. Um, the events portfolio is, is obviously something that's really important to us in the summer because that's what brings the people in. Um, but we're just going to need to uh, really kind of make sure that we that we focus properly on this mountain bike product and everything that we're doing to kind of we want our summer product to match the the, the, the world-class winter ski experience that, that people have in Sun Peaks. And we think that with this trail development that's going to happen now, we're, we're going to be able to um, address that and really take a big leap forward from a summer perspective this year. So there's a lot of excitement up on the hill. I think everyone's a bit tired after a long winter, but everyone's really excited to just jump in with both feet and get after the summer stuff now. Yeah, uh, I know you guys did a sort of a soft rollout last summer, and uh, this is the big one for all the, all the mountain biking infrastructure. Uh, you're full on with this thing now. Uh, what are you doing to get people, uh, basically, uh, mountain bikers uh, in either in BC or other jurisdictions, uh, to get it on their radar and, and get them up to Sun Peaks? Well, mountain biking is a really interesting one because um, it's, a, it's a bit of like an organic network, and the word the word travels pretty quickly when you have a product. So for us, it was really um, spending most of our time and effort on getting the product in in the shape. That's from from new trail 
development and fixing up of existing trails and making it accessible for everyone and kind of building that level of progression of mountain biking that uh, that we think has been a little bit lacking, if I'm being honest, up at some peaks for, for the last number of years. So um, we feel pretty strongly that this is going to grow at kind of a grassroots level. If we build the product, the people will come because um, the mountain bike community is a pretty tight-knit one, and uh, we're going to start running our own backyard with Kamloops. We've got some great local events going on up there for mountain biking this summer, and it's just going to kind of grow from there and uh, and start pulling in from new and additional markets and uh you know at some point three or four years down the road i think we're going to see some of the good sort of international visitation numbers for mountain biking that we do for ski in the winter awesome stuff aiden always a pleasure thank you man yeah sounds great thank you that's the chief marketing officer for sun peaks making the transition from a pretty solid ski season now to a mountain biking and summer season ahead quick break and the woodford show and then we'll uh, move into an abbreviated inside politics on the other side with keith baltry and von palmer Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back. A uh, mini Inside Politics now with no show tomorrow due to the Easter long weekend. A uh, real pleasure to welcome to the program Von Palmer and Keith Baldry. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. That was a good interview you did with Blair Lexstrom. Oh, thank you. Uh, we'll touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, guys, uh, why don't we start with the uh, province next door, probably the biggest uh, news uh, of the last few days, a bit of a seismic shift uh, in relations there, or maybe not, uh, considering how uncordial uh, Rachel Notley and John Horgan were. But I liked how the Edmonton Journal summed it up this morning, saying John Horgan suddenly seems like the only vegan at a barbecue festival, as Canada's other provinces elect a long list of red meat conservatives. Uh, Keith, uh, what does this mean for BCL? Alberta relations. Well, first of all, John Horgan is not a vegan. I can tell you, yeah. <laughs> barbecue uh, fanatic, just like uh, a lot of other British Columbians. So, um, yeah, this is going to be pretty rocky times. But uh, I thought it was very interesting yesterday. Jason Kenney was suddenly striking a slightly new chord of communications. He says, "Look, it's not our intention to to turn off the taps to BC right away," which is not a nuanced position he made clear in the campaign, which he gave the impression it was going to happen immediately. He wants to sit down and talk with Horgan. And I think once it becomes clear to Kenny, if it's not clear already, that B.C. is not the one blocking this pipeline. It's the federal government's inability to get it past the goal line. Uh, all B.C. does is doing is has a rather tepid court challenge in, on a constitutional basis, so many people don't think it's going to win anyway. So uh, it's nevertheless, it's going to be intense times between these two, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think, I think the real fight we're going to see in this country is between Kenny and Justin Trudeau. I think uh, the the, Ken, the BC Alberta uh, dispute, if I ever get to that point, is be, going to become a sideshow to a much bigger fight. Yeah, I think the carbon tax is number one on his hit list. Uh, Mr. Kenny, though, is going to have to be uh, a wolf defending the oil sands, as indeed uh, his predecessor, Miss Notley, was. Uh, one of the issues that's happened, as you pointed out in your column, Vaughn, in, in sort of an odd set of timing, is that the BC government sort of uh, going for this tanker ban along the north coast, something that Mr. Kenny could certainly seize on. Could this be sort of the first point of contention or no? Well, he can seize on any number of things and uh, may do so. Uh, I agree with Keith, though. I think his first struggle is to get the federal government to approve this project. And, and as you know, uh, Ottawa has just added another month to the timeline for that. So that's June. Uh, I continue to think that uh, Trudeau will try to figure out a way of approving construction, but making sure it doesn't happen until after the election so that 
they don't have protests and showdowns. The real the real problem out here is going to be blockades and protests and people chaining themselves to fences. I think the Horgan government has made has dropped some pretty strong hints already, Shane. That uh, well, they've said province can't stop construction. It can't refuse to hold up. It can't just arbitrarily hold up permits. It can't do anything about increased tanker traffic. That's up to Ottawa. So I'm not sure it'll ever come to a day where Kenny can say the obstacle to going ahead with this project is the B.C. government. I think his first challenge is with the federal government. The second challenge will probably be the extent to which the federal government has to clear protests. And there's still an issue with First Nations that are saying they don't consent to this project, it's in their traditional territory, and they may be back in court on that issue before construction actually starts. Yeah, and that's an, that's an interesting question, uh, Keith, as we've talked about before. Uh, the big hang-up here is First Nations consultations. That seems to be the reason for this one-month delay. I don't think any of us can adequately answer uh, how or what the bar is to determine what is adequate and what is not, especially considering uh, some, some First Nations on the coast who are ardently opposed to this thing. Um, I don't know what the government charts a course on that. Will will that be a bar that's ever really said, okay, we've done our, our responsibilities there? Well, no, that's a very good point. There's no measuring stick here uh, that that's really accurate. So is it unanimity? Is that the requirement? That's not going to happen. Is it a majority? Uh, one of the difficulties here was exposed in the, the, the continuing controversy over that LNG pipeline in the north where everybody thought, a lot of people thought everything's fine because we have a deal with the elected uh, councillors of First Nations bands. And then the sudden the wrench in the works was the fact that their hereditary chiefs were not uh, secured pr- approval. And th- th- that just sort of upset the entire apple cart. That may very well play out along this uh, this issue as well, is that you, you may think you have a deal with First Nations. It turns out you don't. I'm not sure that's going to be resolved at the table. That's going to have to be, I, I think, the result of, uh, of court rulings uh, down the line. I think construction will begin while some of these things are up in the air. But ultimately, the courts this project is never going to be far away from the legal system uh vaughn to return to your point about the prime minister potentially pushing this off till after the election i was thinking when you said it uh does that not sort of hand ammunition to his critics especially in alberta and perhaps maybe politically i mean i get there's going to be a battle here but maybe it's a blessing for him to get shovels in the ground before uh the election in order to kind of uh, land something of a political coup and take some ammunition away from alberta well i'd hate to suggest that justin trudeau is a kind of leader who'll back off on the promises he's made but there's a lot of evidence that he is. The, look, the Liberal brand didn't do all that well in Alberta this week, but he's got 18 seats in British Columbia that he has to be thinking about and a divided province on this issue. So, again, you don't want to be sounding too cynical, but um, it strikes me as not out of the question that Trudeau is looking for a way to have it both ways, to say the, the project's approved, it's going ahead, but uh, minimize uh, construction at uh, really serious, uh, contentious places in British Columbia before the election. And Keith is the one who reported a while ago that the unusual thing about the TMX pipeline expansion is that you can take SkyTrain to the site of one of the protests. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I can see uh, him trying to come up with a workaround on that before the election. 
Uh, and Keith, uh, one thing that jumped out uh, at you, I note uh, when Kenny did his victory speech in Alberta, uh, he broke into his bilingual using French and English, uh, something that uh, I agree with you. I don't think I ever remember an Alberta premier or premier-designate ever doing. Uh, does that speak volumes about sort of what his long-term plans are? Oh, I think so. I mean, Jason Kenney just comes off as a very ambitious uh, fellow, and I, I don't think Andrew Scheer uh, has a lock on the leadership long-term of the Federal Conservative Party. I think Kenny very much was sending, sending, sort of laying his marker down that he's still a player on the national stage. I also think he's trying to potentially engage in a conversation with Premier Legault in, in Quebec, I mean, who's already rejected his overtures. But he wants a pipeline, you know, potentially going east as well. So uh, that's why he, I think uh, one, of the, one of the calculations of displaying his fluency in French as well. But I think really it speaks to a long-term play here for, for Mr. Kenny uh, to get back on the national stage as a leader of one of the major parties. Yeah, that was an interesting exchange. I mean, Kenny in French pleaded for a pipeline east directly to Quebec Premier Legault, uh, who the next day in English responded to Kenny by saying, quote-unquote, there is no social license here for that, Vaughn. That's true. Uh, Quebecers uh, have uh, a very, um, I would say from this distance, hypocritical position on this. They're quite keen to take federal transfer payments under the Constitution, of course. They're entitled to them. They collect a fair amount of money, and most of that money comes from Alberta, because Alberta is a net contributor to transfer payments. Quebec is a net collector. And that's really the point that Kenny was trying to make the other day, which is it's not just a question of Alberta's wealth and Alberta's jobs that you want to be able to get our product to world market and get a better price. But if Alberta thrives, then Alberta contributes even more money into transfer payments to the needy provinces. Province of New Brunswick is quite keen on this. The new premier of Nova Scotia, or sorry, of New Brunswick, is quite keen to get a pipeline through because the, it'll feed his refineries. Quebec is the obstacle. It wants to have it both ways. Uh, take the moral high ground uh, against oil, but collect the, the, the check, essentially, that mainly comes from the oil province of Alberta. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here. And on the other side, we'll pick up our conversation with Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer and move to uh, more local issues, including some uh, rather fraught caribou consultations and changes made on that front. Next. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back. We're talking to Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer. Uh, a week ago tomorrow on Inside Politics, guys, we were talking about those uh, caribou consultations, uh, the uproar that they were causing, and pondering whether or not that uproar had reached a boiling point enough for the government to look in the mirror and uh, make a course correction. It turns out uh, that level was, in fact, reached. The Premier this week uh, extending those consultations, bringing uh, former Liberal Cabinet Minister Blair Lextrom into the fold as a uh, community liaison to try and help uh, guide things along there. So uh, I guess first to you, Vaughn, I mean, uh, there have been some changes, but there's still some very big concerns in the northern part of this province. Does anything the Premier did this week uh, signal that this process is, is back on solid ground and the people are going to buy into it or no? 
Well, look, uh, you always hope the government will get it right in the first place, but when they get it wrong, you hope they'll come out and admit they did it and try to fix it, and I give credit to the Premier on this one for having admitted uh, last week, gone all the way to Dawson Creek to say it, that they blew the consultations on this, and that he understands why people are angry about it, and look, it was an inspired choice. Lextrum is an independent-minded person. He showed that when he served in the Liberal government. Uh, so he's gone and picked somebody who's independent, who knows the region, um, who's a pretty good communicator. I listened to, to his interview with you this morning, and I think he managed to convey there's a big problem here. He pointed out that they basically consulted behind closed doors with selected people for 18 months to put this uh, Pr- pr- uh, plan together, Shane, and, and never really talked to the local residents it was going to affect. So he's right about that. But he also said he was optimistic. He thinks that they can put something together that's workable, and he thinks they can make the plan stick. And he thinks the federal government will butt out if there's a realistic plan underway here. So I thought it's a pretty encouraging move by the Premier overall. Yeah, what jumped out at me, Keith, about what Blair had to say earlier, the one thing that really kind of hit my ear hard was uh, his comment that uh, the way it had been conducted so far, these caribou consultations, had set back relationships between communities and First Nations by 40 years. Uh, I don't know if an extra month of consultations is going to patch something like that up. Yeah, no, that was a very interesting comment. I think it, it reveals that the take-up there seems to be a fight between First Nations and non-First Nations, and that's, that's one of the takeaways I, take, I got from your interview with him. The other one is he mentioned the wolf call, uh, which you know people don't like to talk about down, down here, but up there is a real, a real uh, subject of those public meetings. So I think, I think you're going to see Lextrum uh, headed towards recommendations that may reduce the reduction in the annual allowable cut, perhaps increase the, the wolf call, uh, and move more to market to a penning of, of caribou, which he pointed out West Moverly is already in the midst of uh, of doing. So, I think uh, it's I think this whole thing is actually kind of fascinating because I think it's a sign that Horgan realizes this thing was off the rails. I think it's a, a, a shot across the bow of his own forest minister, Doug Donaldson, who was standing there on the same stage as yeah. and Horgan as Horgan was saying this whole thing has gone off the rails. I'm bringing in a complete outsider to fix this thing, which does not make minister look very good and i think also it's a recognition by the premier that uh, where, where he doesn't have mlas up country this government is out of touch with the local communities so it's going to be interesting how this goes forward Lexham's no shrinking violet and he's his own man he's not going to kowtow to what the ndp uh says and i think the heart of this matter is trying to get first nations support for whatever the plan ultimately turns out to be yeah i'd like to bring back that comment because uh, uh that was a very interesting uh, clip out of that horgan announcement earlier this week that yeah, essentially saying, listen, uh, we don't have any NDP MLAs here. Uh, we don't really have a good finger in the pulse of what's going on, hence uh, bringing Blair Lextrum on board. Uh, my ears perked up at that. And I, I, to some degree, I understand what he's saying, but we also have MLAs in ridings. In this case, there's a pair of BC Liberal MLAs on the ground. Uh, their job to some extent, and I think Mike Bernier uh, fulfilled that earlier this week, delivering that, that petition to the legislature, which sort of sparked some of the changes we see, I think, or last week, I should say. Um, I don't I don't quite agree with what the premier had to say there though Fawn. 
Well, the government is isolated in two respects, and, you, and you've referred to the first one, which is they don't have MLAs. But the other thing is they're all stuck down here in the Capitol because the balance of power is so precarious in the House. They have to be here every day. You know, you've got junior officials out handling these consultations. Even if they had local MLAs, they wouldn't be there listening. So uh, I think Horgan has recognized the isolation. The, the problem with the First Nations, and this is, Horgan referred to this in Dawson Creek. Constitutionally and legally, the government has to involve the First Nations from the outset. They must be consulted and accommodated, and they have interests. But uh, the Premier said, like, don't blame the local First Nations. <laughs> they made their leaders sign non-disclosure agreements. So even if uh, the chief of the West Moberly and the chief of the Salto, uh, Cameron and uh, and uh, the chief of the West Moberly as well, if they uh, if they Roland Wilson, if they wanted to consult the community, they couldn't because they were part of a, essentially a fundamentally secretive process. So um, you know, I hope uh, that. Uh, Lextrom can put together something that works. I agree with you. It's a fairly short time frame. I thought he dropped two or three hints in his interview with you about what a realistic workable plan would include. Keith mentioned increased wolf call. It does work. People down south don't like it, but it does work, and it's been proven through research. Maternal penning, essentially managing the herd. You you pen up the pregnant pregnant cows, and you protect the calves from predators uh that one does and it's interesting i noticed at the very end he quoted the leader of the salto first nation ken cameron and said that cameron has said look these draft agreements do not necessarily mean major layoffs in the forest industry or mill closures it may be possible to work around it. And one way they might be able to work around it is if all they're doing is transferring the allowable cut to the, to the First Nations, those First Nations could log the wood and feed it to the mill. So it's possible... I agree with you, it's going to be a heck of an effort, but it is possible that a workable plan could come out of this that doesn't involve uh, either increased threat to the caribou or major loss of jobs and mill operations in the Northeast. Uh, just one final thought on this, uh, the Premier's admission about not having his finger in the pulse and having to appoint Blair Lextrom in this particular issue. Uh, Keith, does it open up a can of worms in other areas of the province for either existing problems, I mean, I think of the land title records removal here in Kamloops perhaps, or uh, future issues that flare up in the province where uh, there are no NDP representation for people to say, well, we want to we want a local liaison to tell you what's going on. Well, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a veteran uh, forestry executive a couple weeks ago who asked, in Victoria, asked me, what is this? This government doesn't seem to have an economic strategy that exists north of hope. And he says, the, the, really out of touch with forestry concerns and, and local community concerns in so much parts of the province. So I think it does highlight a real disconnect, and we've seen on other issues. This government, as Vaughn points out, first of all, it's focused on Victoria. It can't get out of the capital because of the tight sea count, which is why you see the premier this week very busy going all over the place, uh, visiting places he normally can't get to, uh, to make all sorts of spending announcements. And But secondly, the, it, you really notice that this is a very suburban Vancouver or government. And so when you have issues like this that are sort of um, 
remote issues for for people in Kitsilano. Um, I mean, they, they look at the caribou and say, "Oh yeah, well, let's protect it," but they don't really understand or necessarily care that much about all the intricacies that go into this whole thing. So I think we are going to see other issues like this pop up around the province. And the other thing that at play here, and we're going to see it elsewhere, at what point does the NDP's commitment to reconciliation with Indigenous communities run smack up against local community concerns when it comes to industrial development? And what's, what, that's really the heart of the matter uh, in, the, in the piece right now. That's going to happen in other areas as well. Yeah. A final question to both of you before we wrap up. Uh, first to you, Vaughn. Uh, the doctors ratified the contract, uh, the details of which Keith broke some weeks ago. Uh, they found interesting ways to get around the mandate of 2-2-2, two, two, but there was some spin in announcing the final deal. Uh, BCTF, namely, but other unions are looking at this thing. Uh, what does it mean? Well, I'll thank my friend Baldry for providing me with a copy of what they actually signed. Uh, look, doctors are getting 7500 bucks essentially, as a signing bonus, so they're not calling it that. And the doctors... Uh, association says that the uh, basic compensation increases 8.8% over the three years. Now, government says that we're reading it wrong, that that's not really what's happening. But look, uh, uh, my piece, and uh, when Keith reported it a couple of weeks ago, uh, the BC Teachers Federation have been very quick to pick up on that and tweet it out to their members. They're in the midst of negotiations, and I think they, of course, want more than two, two, and two. They say BC teachers are the lowest paid in Western Canada, and it does present a big challenge to the government. They have to figure out some way of giving maybe the teachers more without triggering all the Me Too agreements that all the other public sector unions have signed. And final word to you, uh, Keith. Uh, the Liberals are banging hard on this gas price issue, linking it to affordability. To some degree, fair enough. Uh, nobody likes to fill up their tank. It's a frustration that cuts across, uh, namely people in Metro Vancouver and Southern Vancouver Island, but gas prices are rising everywhere. Uh, but I, I, it annoys me, this call to reduce provincial taxation, because I don't think, A, it'll work, and B, it means more money for the oil companies. To what degree of reality is this whole thing based in? Oh, not much. <laughs> I mean, the vagaries of gas pricing are, you know, a mystery to everyone. I mean, Dan McTeague of GasBuddy.com uh, does a good job of explaining how a, the price of gas has arrived at, but there's so many factors in this thing. Uh, lack of refinery space in Washington State. If a refinery goes down for maintenance, that's a big reason why prices spike in Metro Vancouver. Uh, there's a lot more to it than simply taxation. I don't blame the Liberals for seizing on this. I mean, there's 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 always, I think, a level of ignorance behind the proverbial angry taxpayer who thinks just by reducing taxes, everything is going to be well in the world. And political parties seize on that, for better or worse, for all sorts of reasons. I don't blame the liberals for doing this. I don't think that's what the problem is, and I don't think that's what the solution is. And I don't think, uh, really, at the end of the day, Horgan has assigned his deputy, Don Wright, to examine all options in his words. But I think Mr. Wright's going to come back. Well, Okay. Uh, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Have a great Easter uh, long weekend. As I've always said, I thought you two were a pair of good eggs. Hey, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Vaughn Palmer, Keith Baldry, and that wraps up today's edition of the Woodford Show. We'll see you again next week. From CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Local news now.